0: We are in the middle of a series called Q&A, and and what we did is we asked our congregation to give us questions, any question you can think of about the Bible or, or really God or anything. And we have been compiling those questions, and we have been answering them, and this is the very last one. just happens to be falling on Easter. And the question that we are going to answer this morning that you submitted is this, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now, right now, our ushers are going to come forward, and they have uh, Bibles in their hands. So if you don't have a Bible, this is your time to raise your hand. They will come by, put that Bible in your hand. This is a free gift from us to you. We encourage you to use it, take it home, write in it. It is the Word of God, and it will change your life. And you will also need it as we're walking through our message today. All right, that's the question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? But is that really the question? Because if you think about it, Jesus isn't the only one that rose from the dead. And I'm just talking according to scriptures. I mean, we start to look at this here. We know that Jesus, during his ministry, one time he raised uh, this man's daughter. And then another time, there was an actual funeral possession. Jesus is going by, touches it, and this boy is raised from the dead. And two weeks ago, we talked about how Lazarus, who was one of Jesus' closest uh, friends, uh, he died. Jesus raised him from the dead. Jesus, after he died and rose from the dead himself and he ascended into heaven and gave the spirit to his followers, those followers went out, and we have Peter, who raises Tabitha from the dead. And we have Paul, one of the great church planners. He ends up he's actually preaching one time. This young man is sitting on a window ledge, falls asleep during the, the message, falls out, dies. Paul runs down, raises him from the dead. Now that's the first thing they teach you when you learn how to preach: is if you were so boring and somebody dies, you need to know how to raise them from the dead. And I'm, I was never good at it, so stay away from the ledges over there. But that's what we have. I mean, that Jesus isn't the only one that rose from the dead, but there is a little something different about Jesus and his rising from the dead. You know, the Passion Week, the week that was lying, laying up to his, uh, leading up to his death, and then his resurrection. During that time, one of the things that Jesus did is he came in and he started to clear out the temple courts. And so he is in there and he's, he's whipping the, the, the dogs in there and, and, and whatever's out, you know, all the people who were set up doing shop. Because here you had, God had uh, ordained the, the temple for a place for, for them to acknowledge God and they started using it for their own benefit. But more than that, when Jesus was doing that, it was prophetic, it was symbolic thing. It was Jesus saying, hey, I am somebody who has authority to come in here and to clear you out. You, the leaders of this religion, I have more authority than you. And that's exactly what they, they understood. And so the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Well, the Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple that he had spoken of was his body. And after he raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. I mean, that's just a cool moment there. Jesus standing there, and he's saying, tear this temple down. He probably doesn't point. He probably just says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. Now you got to remember the temple is a symbolic place where where the spirit of God resides. It is that symbolic place where where it says, this is where God, and he's at the very center. And in fact, the temple had these these concentric rooms or areas uh, outside of it, these these walled-in areas. And it was this knowledge that that, God was holy and we are not. And so there's these levels of separation. And in fact, the most inner place in the temple was called the Holy Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, one time out of the year, would go in there to make sacrifices for the sin of all the people. And yet, standing before them, saying these words, was Jesus, flesh and blood, but yet Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us. And when you look at Jesus... Jesus doesn't say somebody will raise me from the dead. He says, I will raise myself. In fact, in other places, he says, I lay down my life, and I have authority to pick it up again. And when Jesus comes back to life, what happened to Lazarus when he came back to life? A few years later, what happened to old Lazarus? He died, and so did Jairus, his uh, daughter, and everybody else that had risen from the dead. But Jesus ascended in heaven, he had a body that was no longer going to die. And so really, the question isn't, did Jesus rise from the dead? It's, did Jesus rise from the dead and thus prove to be God? That's the real question, isn't it? I mean, Paul said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If the resurrection didn't happen and didn't prove that he is God, then everything that we're doing here is absolutely meaningless. And what really makes Jesus such a big deal is that if he did raise from the dead, it changes everything. Because it means that he is the only source of life. It means everything that he said was absolutely true. He has a call on your life. And that you can only find life through him, and that he is to be your Lord and you're to follow his teaching. And that's why Jesus is a dangerous name to be saying in schools or out in public or to bring up among your friends and your neighbors. All right, so what's the answer? Did he rise from the dead or not? Well, one possible answer is no. I mean, that's possibility, right? I mean, were you guys there? Do you know for sure that he rose from the dead? Nobody can hop in a time machine, go back there and watch this thing happen. And in fact, you know, Jesus isn't even the first one to to claim deity. I mean, the the pharaohs, they claimed that they were were gods and they were worshipped by the people as gods. Uh, The Roman emperors, same thing, they claimed to be deity. And in fact, the early Christians were being persecuted, uh, not so much because they were following Jesus, but because they were swearing allegiance to a god other than the emperor. And even in our own day, we have people who claim to be God. Anybody remember Jim Jones? I mean, for most of you, Jim Jones is before your time, but Jim Jones uh, had this, this cult, and he's famous for the James, Jonestown Massacre, where when they, he, basically his whole entire cult went down to, to Brazil to hide out, and uh, when a congressman went down there to check and see what they were doing, they killed the congressman, and then they decided to commit suicide, and so they drank Kool-Aid that was poisoned. And in fact, those of you who are too young to remember this, you probably have heard the term, you know, what it means to to drink the Kool-Aid. It means that you've bought something, hook, line, and singer. You've checked your brain at the door. And Jim Jones was an interesting character. I mean, he really wasn't even that religious. He was a communist and really more of an atheist, but he started reading about Hitler, and he read about Gandhi, and he read about Stalin, and about these men who were able to control and coerce people. And then he happened to go into this church one time and they were doing these healings and they were raising all this money and he went, huh, I think I know what I'm going to be doing here. And so he used all his control techniques and whatnot to, to just become God for these people. Or even a little more recent, David Koresh in the Branch Davidians had a whole entire group, a cult, and they ended up holding up in this, in this you know, complex down in Waco, Texas. And eventually the government came in and they killed themselves in the process. And, you know, it, it's interesting, a little side note on this. Have you noticed a common theme in all the people who claim to be God? They kind of have some ulterior motives, don't they? They're trying to control people, to manipulate people. You know, both Jim Jones and uh, David Koresh, uh, in, in their cults, they, they mandated... Uh, monogamy except for one person one person got to sleep with everybody that they wanted to in that group had to be david koresh and jim jones convenient huh people are always using that that claim to control others all right so how do we know for sure that jesus rose from the dead i'll tell you the first thing that we have is we have eyewitness testimony Eyewitness testimony. And for those of you that, that brought your Bibles or you just grabbed one, you're holding it in your hands. This right here is eyewitness testimony. And not only is it, if you just throw out and you don't believe any of the stuff in here, what you hold in your hands is the most amazing piece of archaeological evidence that is known to man. Because what you have in here is, is an ancient manuscript that we have more copies of than any other ancient manuscripts for anything else out there. The Odyssey, the Great Myths, all those great works, Plato, Aristotle, we have minuscule amounts of copies. But of the Old and New Testament, we have a vast number, more than any other type of document out there. And not only that, but the documents for this are even closer to the originals than any other historical documents out there. And not only that, but we have had documents, and then we have found uh, other documents, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we've got that, that move it even 1,000 years earlier. And then suddenly we get to go and say, okay, well, what, what changed over 1,000 years of transmission? And it's virtually nothing. You know, a period here, an I dotted, you know. But nothing that changes anything. And so when you start to look at this, what you have is original testimony from those who walked with jesus who knew jesus john one of his closest disciples says "That which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life referencing jesus peter another one of his closest disciples really the leader of the disciples peter says we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We've even got the testimony of somebody that was not an eyewitness. His, man, his name is Luke. He wrote one of the gospels, one of the stories of Jesus. And, and Luke followed Paul, one of the great church planners. And so he's following Paul around. And one of the things he got to do, even though he wasn't an eyewitness, is he got to go to all of these cities, some of them like Ephesus, where he got to talk with Mary. He had to sit down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and ask her questions. And so Luke writes in his gospel at the very beginning, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. We got eyewitness account. And do you know that prosecutors, that they love eyewitness account even more than getting DNA evidence? You see, here's the beauty. DNA, I mean, stuff can be moved, things like that happen, but you get eyewitnesses, especially multiple eyewitness testimony, and you've got a slam-dunk case because you take those eyewitnesses and you put them in separate rooms and you start questioning them. And if they're lying and not telling the truth, you ask all those questions. You start to see that the stories don't jibe with one another. But you get two or three witnesses like that, the only way for them to come out clean is for them to all describe something that really happened, what they saw. And so if you just go through, and if you were just to to read these testimonies and look at them, you have to ask yourself, what's going on in these stories about Jesus? I mean, these guys lying? Is this just propaganda? You know, I've read propaganda before. I've seen that stuff. And with propaganda, you got to keep it, you don't want to get complicated because it gets, you know, the lies start showing up, right? You got to keep it simple and you got to make your side look really, really good and the other side really, really bad, right? I mean, isn't that a typical propaganda? And yet when we read through these testimonies in here, we hear Peter, the leader of the disciples, denying Christ. Not only denying him, but denying him three times. we got Thomas, another one of his disciples, doubting him. And this is a man who walked with him, his best, best friends. And then we got the story of this guy named Saul who was the first great persecutor of the church. That was his, he got papers from the Sanhedrin to go out, hunt down Christians. He has this experience, and then suddenly he changes his name to Paul, and he becomes one of the greatest proponents. And in fact, if you're a Christ follower, you're of a son of Paul. Unless you come from Jewish origins, he was the one that your faith follows through. Right after, after Jesus was, was taken into custody, his disciples, they don't stand and fight, they scatter, they run. And then even after he rises from the dead, they're a bunch of cowards holding up in a room. And then suddenly, we see them out there. And they're preaching about Jesus with no fear and being persecuted and put into prison. What happened that made these guys not just willing to go out there and do that, but willing to die? All of them. Except for John. That's the only one that we, we think might have lived long enough to die of old age. The rest all died. For what? A lie? That they knew wasn't true? That they saw that? I mean, I look at that. There is only one explanation, and it's that they totally believed that Jesus rose from the dead, that they saw him rise from the dead. That's the only explanation. And so we have eyewitness testimony of those who there. And saw these things. But not only that, we also have the teaching of Jesus. You know, when Jesus was out there, I mean, here, he's not even got the credentials to be a teacher. And yet when people heard him, it was like nothing they'd ever heard before. It says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now that doesn't make any sense because who had the authority to teach? The teachers of the law, they have the authority. This guy has no authority. And yet when he comes out and he says it, there's just something different about it. Really, when it gets down to it, don't believe me, don't believe anybody else. Really, if you have any questions, you just need to read their testimony. I mean, just read through those first four Gospels, those stories, those, autobi- those biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You know, The series that we're ending today, we're actually gonna start a new series next week called What Does God Want? And all we've done is we pulled some teaching out of a, a, a section in Matthew that comes from Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. It's really some of the greatest teaching that that you know has ever been laid out. And so that's what the next sermon series is. But go through there and just read it. Just read the accounts of Jesus and read the teachings of Jesus and then ask yourself this question. Does this sound more like Jim Jones? David Koresh, Roman emperors? Or is this like, sounds like something that's otherworldly? Something that's different, something that's beyond that. Somebody who would run from crowds, not try to stir them up. All right, I I am thoroughly convinced that these disciples saw something, whatever, that they were willing to die for. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But isn't it possible that they could be sincere and yet sincerely wrong? I mean, isn't, it, isn't it possible that they could have been duped somewhere along the way? That they thought that, that they had seen these things and thought that this had happened, but really it didn't happen? I think it's, it's possible. But the problem is that we have the results. Don't we? I mean, we've got the results. Right, okay, here's, here's a challenge for you. I want you to go out after this, and I want you just to do something that you become famous for. All right? Now, you can go out there and you can cure cancer. You can be like Gandhi. You can free some group of people someplace. Or you're welcome to go and do the Hitler route. You can try to do you know, a mass killing, mass genocide. The only requirement is that you become famous for this. All right? Well known throughout history. Thousands and thousands of years past, And everybody knows your name and what you did. There's still people that follow after you and want to emulate you. kind of hard to do isn't it you go out and you ask anybody in the world right now do you know who alexander the great is some would know but i tell you most wouldn't know wouldn't know what he did the man conquered the the western world by the age of 30 most people wouldn't know that but you go around this world and you ask people who jesus is and a vast majority of them would be able to tell you a little something about jesus and yet this guy is a nobody from nowhere that had three years of ministry that was cut short by his death. And yet today all over the world, it's 2010 because it's 2010 years since he was born. Our entire calendar and our systems are built around the life and the death of this one man. Whether you believe that or not, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Is it not? You know what happened to those disciples when they went out and they started preaching about Jesus? Jesus. They got arrested, just like Jesus did. And they pull them in there, and so these guys start to gather around, and they go, you know, I thought we took care of this problem about 50 days ago. We killed their leader. Now these guys are out here. What do we do? Do we do some more crucifixions? And then Gamaliel, one of the great teachers that they had at this time, this was like, he was Mr. Harvard, okay? You went to him for your Harvard education. He starts to give them some counsel. Just, just listen to what he says. It says, but a Pharisee... Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, that was their court, and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. He said, get these guys out of here, I'm going to talk to you. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him, he was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing, and then after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. See, Jesus wasn't the first one along to come and say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the, I'm the Holy One, I'm, I'm the Son of God. He wasn't the first. There was many that had come after him. Then Gamaliel says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. This wasn't written like 50 years ago. This was written back in the first century. When Christianity was just some other religious sect that popped up. And yet, here you sit today, 2,000 some years later, to learn about Jesus, to find out more about him. You know, faith is a, is a funny thing. You know, when, when do you have enough to be able to cross that line, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus? When have you gotten enough to kind of tip those scales? I mean, I, I don't like it when people will come and, and ask some questions. Blind faith is really no faith at all. You'll jump over to the next thing. But when I think about my own life, I I think about the people I saw. And I saw some people who claimed to be Christians and I was like, I don't want any part of that. But then there were others that I saw something that was different. And I didn't know why they were different. I didn't know exactly what things they did to make them different. But there was something about them that was different. And I read these testimonies. And I began to take steps of faith not just saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, but then the next part of that, all right, Jesus, now that you're my Lord, what is it that you command? And then you start to find all kinds of things that you go, I don't know if I really want that. And, and one of them, I'll tell you, is, is tithing. If you're not familiar with it, it's, it's that God commands that, of all the things that he gives us, that we give him 10% back. 10% of your income, and that's worse than taxes. For some of us. Not me. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's hard stuff, Right? But, you know, we, we started to do that. And I, w- I was going to seminary at the time, and I, I remember this distinctly, coming in and saying, Lisa, you know, we're supposed to do this, and it's not about giving the church money so they can do things. It's, it's really an act before God. That's, that's all it is. And yet well, I can't continue to go to seminary if I continue to tithe. Maybe I can tithe to the seminary, and I can, you know, but really that's not, that's not really being honest, right, before God. I, mean, I, could, I could do it. And so I, we just kind of prayed about this and we said, you know what, we are not going to steal the tithe from God. We're going to give him the tithe and whatever he wants can happen. And if he wants, he can, he can make money out of thin air, right? He's God. And if he doesn't, then I'm just going to take that as a sign that he doesn't want me to go to seminary right now. And that's okay. That's kind of the way God can kind of speak to us, right? When we just follow and do what he says and then whatever happens, happens. And through that process, God ended up opening a door this lady came over to us and offered to allow us to stay in one of her rental properties for free. And, and because of that, we were able to have just enough money to get through seminary. We, didn't, we weren't rich or anything else. <laughs> we didn't have any extra money. But in that process, you know, it wasn't like it was somebody at our church going, oh, let's help out the pastor. It was somebody who didn't like our church at all, who I don't even think was a Christian, wasn't even a Christ follower. But just for some reason, even that night, I can remember the night, she said, I've got this rental property, it's, you know, 440 bucks. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I drive home, and, and the phone rang. Like, what happened in between that drive home that she called up and just said, I want to give this thing to you for free? You know, my faith is grounded in here. But moments like that where I've stepped out and found God step in, in, in ways that are outside of the normal means, has spoken in my life, and in those times, you start to realize that our God is a real, ever-present God, that he is there, that he will act in your life, that he'll step in at different times, and he'll twist, and he'll move things around, and you begin to experience that. One time, one of the teachers of the law came under a cover of darkness to try to find out a little bit more about Jesus. He saw this stuff happening, and it didn't make any sense because God would not be working through the means of some nobody from out in Galilee, and Nazareth. So he started asking why this stuff was happening. And, and, and Jesus said something to this man named Nicodemus. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And see, that's what it was for me, wasn't it? I saw these people. And I saw change. I saw movement. I didn't understand why or what was causing it. But I knew that it was there. I could see it. But when somebody steps over that line, you don't get to just see the effects of the wind anymore. You get to feel the wind move up on the inside. Begin directing you. Touching you. You'll fear his presence at time. You'll see him work through you to affect the lives of other people. And there is nothing that can dissuade you from Him when you have experienced and tasted of that. And so, when you start to look around here, you're going to see here at Life Point, among this, this group of people who love Jesus, you're going to see some hypocrites in the crowd, but you're going to see marriages that are being saved. You're going to see people who have come in here with addictions that they've had for years, and you're going to see them come free. And it doesn't make any sense why, but it is, it's here. You're gonna see people who are struggling with deep pains that are suddenly healed. Families that become families. (laughs) They grow together. You're gonna see people here who who are depressed and have, have been told, well, it's this or it's that or here's some drugs, take these. And then suddenly, they have meaning and purpose in their life, hope, a reason to go on you can say, why? Why is this happening? But it's only when you've taken a step and walked over that line. The question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Just look around you.
1: His purpose was declared before the foundation of the world. His birth was foretold in the scriptures. His sacrifice was forewarned by the prophets, but it wouldn't have mattered. He was born of a virgin. He remained pure in the face of every temptation. He lived perfectly. Even his enemies couldn't bring a legitimate charge against him, but it wouldn't have mattered. He pursued the unlovable. He served the unworthy. He healed the incurable. He endured the betrayal of friends. He endured the condemnation of the crowds. He endured the cross with all its shame and suffering, but it wouldn't have mattered none of it would have mattered if the grave had not been empty, if death had not been defeated if jesus had not risen none of it matters but because of the resurrection it all matters his suffering matters it means we were bought with an unspeakable price his love matters it means god's love is not only unconditional it's incomprehensible His life matters. It means God became fully man to become our perfect sacrifice. And the prophecies matter. It means God was and is and always will be in control. And everything happens according to his plan. It means that faith in him is not in vain. Belief in him is not foolish. Those who tell the story are not liars. And those who trust in Jesus should not be pitied. Ultimately, the resurrection means that what you do with Jesus is all that should matter to you.
0: Jesus is the reason why this church exists. You will hear us again and again lift up the name of Jesus over life Point any day. And every week, we do one thing to point everybody back to Jesus. something called the Lord's Supper. And right now, our ushers are gonna be coming down the aisles, and they're gonna be passing out these little cups with juice and a wafer. And if you're unfamiliar with this, you're not sure what's going on, you just allow that to, to pass you by. But every week, we do this one act. We take this broken wafer that represents his broken body on the cross. We take this cup of juice it's a reminder of his blood that was spilled out. We do that to remember what he did for you and I. Some would say that, hey, it's Resurrection Sunday. Why are we talking about all this death? He rose from the grave. You know, on Resurrection Sunday, there were two disciples who had heard that he had been risen. They hadn't seen him. And they were confused, and they just, they got out of town. And so they started walking on this, this road to a town called Emmaus. And they met this guy along the way. And they didn't realize it, but it was Jesus. And so they started talking about the things that had just happened in Jerusalem. And and, and they said, well, have you heard about this? And, and Jesus, they didn't realize it was him. And they says, well, no, tell me about it. And they're like, oh, well. And they start telling him. And, and then Jesus began to describe to them all the truths that were found about him in the scriptures. And so it says that as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened up the scriptures to us? I'll tell you what, for those two, they never, never took the Lord's Supper again without thinking about that moment, a time when they were sitting with Jesus and they didn't even realize it. They didn't see him for who he was until they broke bread and their eyes were opened. Right now, as you take some time to meditate, ask that God fully open your eyes that you'll be able to see Jesus for who he is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your Son, for the testimony that we have, and the power of your Spirit that we still see active and working today. And that is the reason for the life, for the hope that we have. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.